Our scripture reading this morning is from Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. Um, If you would like to join in and look um, on the Bible that's in front of you, it's on page 947. And if you don't own a Bible, we always extend um, that as a gift. If you'd like to take that home, you're welcome to. Again, Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Kate. Well, good morning again, and welcome to the Brookside Campus of Christ Community. My name's Taylor. I'm one of the pastors here, and be together. Uh, I'll admit that I still have a hard time sometimes. I, it's so hard for me. Uh, I'm a musician. It's so hard for me not to sing. Uh, so there's still some things that I'm adjusting to form a service, but just so great to be together uh, this morning. And we're about to enter a time where, we're, where we look at God's Word, a time of teaching, and, and unpack it and see uh, what the Spirit might be saying to us through that Word, which is living and active today. But before we do that, would you pray with me? Father God, um, we're so grateful uh, for our church community. And we're so grateful that you have built us up into a temple of different people united around a single purpose, a single mission, a single love, and that is the love that you have extended toward us in forgiveness and grace. So God, I pray that this morning that that spirit who, who lives in this space, who dwells within us and dwells among us, would be noticeably present as we hear your word. God, I pray that you would give me the strength to preach your word, God. I pray that it would be your words, your uh, speech, what you want us to hear that is said this morning. And God, I pray that through this series um, that you would help us to be transformed and to, to find lasting change as a result of knowing you. We pray this all in the name of your son, Jesus, and by the power of his spirit who works in us to will and to work according to your good purpose. Amen. Well, she was uh, one of the most beautiful girls that I had ever seen. Uh, we were both in middle school, so quite a while ago, but, but at that time, I was one of the more uh, round kids in our school, if you get what I'm saying. And so talking to attractive girls was kind of a big deal for me. And it just so happened that on the way back uh, from a field trip to the local gas station, uh, which, yes, is a thing in Sterling, Kansas, we do that, on the way back from that field trip to the gas station, I ended up walking next to her, and we struck up a little bit of a conversation. And toward the end of the walk, as we were getting back to the school, she actually ended up asking me a really important question. She was like, so, Taylor, I was wondering would you want to go to youth group with me? Now, now I had grown up in the church, and I, had, uh, I, I grew up in the church. I knew kind of what church was about, but I had never been to a youth group before. Our town literally had seven churches and zero youth groups, and one just recently came to town. So I didn't know what to expect, uh, but like I said, I was round. Uh, so for me, this was basically a date. And I soon learned what we all learn at some point, I mean, this is a foundational truth. We all learn it at some point in life. 
Cute girls fade, Jesus lasts. Like, that is the, one of the truest truths of the universe right there. Cute girls fade, Jesus lasts. Pretty soon, the girl disappeared pretty quickly from the scene. Uh, but I had found my home. I had found my family. I had found my closest friendships, my, my best memories. And I tangibly encountered the love of Jesus in my youth group. This is a picture of me and my small group. You might recognize uh, a very, very young college-age Brandis, for those of you who have been around a while. Um, but, but, but because of that, my life was forever changed. As God's Spirit moved in my life, I was, saw myself transforming at a rapid rate. Over the first seven or eight years of really taking my faith seriously, the growth in my life that I experienced as a follower of Jesus seemed natural and in some ways inevitable. It was amazing. But starting partway through college, I noticed something shift. Change seemed harder. The next seven or eight years of my faith, the fruit of my relationship with Jesus was much more difficult for me to see. I felt like I was slowly and slowly becoming more stagnant. What's crazy to me when I think about that is all of that time, I was growing more than I ever had in my knowledge of the Bible and my understanding of theology and my belief and understanding of the church and how it's meant to function and so much more. Like, I felt like I was being fed so much in my understanding of faith, but it wasn't always translating to making me more like Jesus. I still had the same sin, still had the same habits, and I still saw little change. Many of you had a similar experience. The first few years of your faith were full of of changing, but at some point it started to level out and maybe even decline. Still knew what you believed, and maybe your belief in God and his existence didn't waver, but you found yourself asking questions like, is this all there is? Like, isn't there supposed to be more to this being a Christian thing? I, I have God's spirit in my life, and I believe that he's working. Why does change seem so hard? And this tension is one of the reasons that we're taking a few weeks uh, for this series in Romans 12 that we're calling We Can Change. And the basic idea of the series is that the gospel expects transformation. If we follow Jesus, if we have the Spirit in us, change not only can but should happen. And not only today, but, but throughout the course of our lives, we're, we should be fundamentally renovated to be like Jesus. But many of experiences like what I just shared that, that lead us to believe that that kind of change might not be possible. So this week, uh, we're going to stay in Romans 12 verses 1 and 2, and wh- what we're going to do is we're going to dive a little bit deeper and ask the question, how do we change? Or better, how does God change our lives? How did he design us to change? So we're going to stay here in verses 1 and 2, which you just heard read. Uh, Pastor Bill led us in that text last week and highlighted a few things, highlight some other things. But just a reminder before we read it, this is the Apostle Paul writing. uh, And talk about someone who experienced a powerful, life-changing transformation in in his life. So this is him writing, he's writing about transformation uh, to the church at Rome. He says, therefore, brothers and sisters, view of the mercies of God, I urge you living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Worship. Conformed to the 
doing of your mind, you may the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. So last week, Pastor Bill, if you were with us or, or watched online, uh, showed us that, that trying to change uh, through our willpower, through just trying harder, uh, is, is ineffective at best. That we actually need something more. Only being loved can change us. It just means that when we have a loving and secure connection to God, that's what begins the work of changing us. And this is an important starting place uh, because it helps us see that God is already at work. God is already at work in your life. God is already at work in our city and in our world. Uh, so you are not the one responsible for solely or initiating the change in your life is already changing you by loving you. And that should be a freeing truth. But that truth shouldn't do and what it often does is, is, is cause us to become complacent and become a little more passive in the transformation. Which is why I think Paul moves so quickly uh, from the reality of God's love that we talked about last week to the urgency of our response. What he says here in these verses is that experiencing this tender mercy, this motherly mercy of God, should compel us to respond in a certain way. And that way is what Paul calls worship. Worship. He says, as we respond to worship, we will be transformed. We'll become like the one we are worshiping. Here's how philosopher James K.A. Smith puts it. He says, worship is the arena in which God recalibrates our hearts reforms our desires, and rehabituates our loves. Worship isn't just something we do. It's where God does something to us. Worship is the heart of discipleship because it is the gymnasium in which God retrains our hearts. I love that image, the gymnasium in which God retrains our hearts. Worship that transforms for Paul isn't just singing, uh, although that's a very important part of worship, but, but it's worship that he calls a living sacrifice. Worship that looks like a living sacrifice, which for Paul means a total, all-out devotion to God with everything we are and with everything we have, as we daily and continually die to ourselves so that we can become alive to him. A total, all-out devotion to God. So the idea that we get from Romans 12 goes like this, that God uses every part of us to change us. God uses every part of us to change us. And Paul specifically names, if you, if you notice, two parts uh, that God uses to change us in our worship, and that's our bodies and that's our minds. That in order to change, we must devote our whole body and our whole mind to loving and worshiping God. God uses every part of us to change us. So first, God uses our bodies to change us. He uses our bodies to change us. Now, many of us have a hard time seeing our bodies as something that God actually cares about. Like, like if I'm being honest, uh, I think that my body gets in the way of becoming like Jesus a lot more than it, it helps or is integral to that process. But I think that's because we've developed this idea that the Christian life is all about escaping our bodies one day. Like, that's the goal. One day, our souls are going to float up and sit on a cloud and play a harp, and we're going to be great. Uh, but not only is that just super lame, uh, but it's also not the picture of the body that we get in Scripture. In fact, across the pages of God's story, it's hard to avoid the truth that our bodies are actually good. Like, God didn't make a mistake when he gave you a body. God, bodies were God's idea in the first place, right? And even Jesus had a body. He came in a body. 
He died in a body. He rose in a body. He ascended to heaven where he still has a body. Which means that, like Paul says in 1 Corinthians, one day we too uh, will be raised to a new kind of body and a new kind of life that can never die again. We'll be in bodies forever. So what does that mean for change? It means that our bodies are actually important for our transformation. What we do with our bodies matters. It forms and it shapes us. So that's why Paul says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice before God. Here's how Michael Byrd, a a scholar, explains Paul's words here. He says, worship that is living, holy, and pleasing to God. If it helps you to understand that, think worship that puts a smile on God's face. Doesn't just take place on some spiritual plane, but occurs through what we do with our physical bodies. Now we'll talk in a little bit about what that could look like, but for now we need to understand this. That if our bodies are necessary for change, then many of us, myself included, are trying to find change in deficient ways, in ways that won't work. Because if you're like me, what you try to do is you try to outthink your body. Like your body wants one thing, but you're like, if I can just think hard enough, that will change. If I can just get enough information, read enough to find the right strategy, consciously think about changing, learn all that there is to know about this topic, I can override my body, and then God can change me. Like, I do this all the time with my eating habits, and it never works. Anyone else with me? Like, I'm, just to confess, I'm a wholehearted believer in the paleo diet. Uh, I've done research behind the nutrition and studies. Uh, I know what foods are good for me and what foods are bad for me, according to that framework. But as much as I know and even believe in the power of this diet, as much as I've seen it work in the past in my life, that knowledge alone doesn't change me, does it? Knowing what nutrients are better doesn't add better nutrients to my life. Knowing how I best lose weight doesn't help me lose weight or get active or anything like that. In fact, I can and I have, uh, it's full confession time, been listening to a podcast about nutrition as I'm driving, and then I pass a Taco Bell more ingrained habit and impulse called the five-layer burrito pulls me away and I drive through that drive-through, pause it so I can talk to them and then put it back on as I grab my food and keep listening about nutrition. Friends, we can't outthink or escape our bodies. What we do with our bodies matters when it comes to our formation. We're either using them in ways that are forming us to be like Jesus or in a way that is forming us to be what Paul called conformed to the world. God uses every part of us to change us. And if we're change, we need to worship God with our bodies. So after urging the Roman church to present their bodies as a living, pleasing, holy sacrifice and worship, Paul then calls them, in verse 2, to be transformed by the renewing of their minds. So not only does God use our bodies to change us, he also uses our minds to change us. God uses our minds to change us. So our bodies and minds, we get this idea, are meant to work together. And often we experience them competing with each other, right? Like my mind wants to be healthy, my body wants a five-layer burrito. They're often in opposition, but, but they were meant to work together. In fact, our minds are technically part of our bodies, right? It's called the brain. And this is another area where our typical efforts at change are a little bit deficient. Because many of us, I've become convinced recently, are worshiping God with half of our brains, 
Last week, Pastor Bill introduced us to the idea of the left brain and the right brain. And the left brain, it's, uh, it's easy to remember, just think is the more logical part of our brain, left logical. It's involved in conscious thought. That's where we deliberate on ideas. That's where we solve problems. That's where we, we assent to truth uh, and other things of that nature. And it's an incredibly important part of our cognitive function and of our worship. But my guess is when you think of the word mind, that's all you think of. That was true for me until very recently. I think that's because our culture, our Western culture, has overemphasized these left brain functions to the neglect of the other half of our brain. See, that other half, the right brain, is the relational side of our brain. This side of our brain is more instinctual. It it processes experiences before the left brain even has time to consciously think about them. So the right brain's like the five-layer burrito side of our brain. If if that's hard to wrap your mind around, it's kind of hard to wrap your mind around, let me give you an example of how this works. Uh, When I was a kid, one of my favorite things to do was go and stay at my grandparents' house. And I loved being at my grandparents' house, except for one thing, and that was the metal parrot in their rec room. There was this, this metal parrot, and that thing scared me. Like, for some reason, I just had this fear that this inanimate parrot would come alive and attack me. I just had this fear. Now, when I was laying in bed and just thinking about it, I'd be like, nah, inanimate parents don't become real parrots. That's not how it works. But as much as I thought that, when I had to go in there late at night to get something, my right brain got there first. And, they, and, and quicker than my conscious thoughts and said, like, parrot attack right now, abort me. Come back to my room. Maybe you've had that experience with, like, that pile of clothes in your room that looks like a human, right? Anyone? Or, or like, you're downstairs late at night quickly because even though you know there's probably not someone down there, you just need to get back up there to the light. That's your right brain. And that's why the, the neurobiologists call the right side of the brain the fast track and the left side the slow track. Because the slow track can only consciously focus on one thing at a time, but the fast track is subconsciously synthesizing multiple relationships and experiences all at once. Now, why are we going into this? Uh, It's not just because it's fun to talk about how the brain works, uh, but it's because the best brain science tells us and affirms what we see in Scripture, that the relational side is where character formation happens. And that just happens to be the side that we're underutilizing in the Western church. And I've become more convinced over the past few months that one of the reasons we have such a hard time seeing change happen in our lives is that we are trying to help something grow in a way that it wasn't designed to grow. We're trying to fix right brain problems with left brain solutions. Now, the biblical writers, like Paul, they didn't have this problem. They were full-brained Christians. And they didn't have the language that we have now to to describe what's happening. But they also didn't live in in a left-brain dominant culture, so it came much more organically to involve the whole person in in the growth process. When Paul says the renewing of the mind, he he doesn't mean that only thinking rightly and getting better information makes us live rightly. That's not what he's saying. That's important It's very important. Hopefully, if you've been around Christ's community, you know that we care about thinking deeply and about the capacity of of truth and of God's Word. But we need both hemispheres of the brain to properly love God with our whole minds. God uses every part of us to change us, and if we're going to see lasting change, we have to adjust the way that we engage our faith to include our whole minds. So what we need, then, are habits that help us change in the way that God designed us to change. God uses our bodies and minds to change us. He also uses our habits to change us. 
The habits, what we, what we regularly do with our bodies and minds is changing us. That's a truth, either for the better or for the worse. Either to become more like Jesus or to become like the world around us. See, contrary to what many of us might think, our spiritual formation is never idle. It is, we are always all being formed by something. And that's why Paul makes a point to say, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Because he knows the power of the world to, to use our bodies and our brains to form us into its image. And I'll tell you who else knows this. The tech industry knows this, right? For example, our brains or our, our phones uh, were designed to where we touch, when we touch that screen, it releases dopamine in our brain that furthers addiction and facilitates it. I mean, how else do you explain the two hours that you just wasted with no, no intention of doing that? It just happened. Advertising agencies also know that, that our bodies and our brains change us. So they appeal to the physical and relational emotional before they appeal to the logical. Here's the way that cultural commentator Mark Sarris describes how easy it is to conform to the world. He says, those who wish to influence us need not change our beliefs, that is, the thoughts of our conscious and deliberate slower brain. Rather, they need to influence our faster brain, thus controlling our habits and our actions. So friends, if our habits are forming us in one way or another, then we need to be intentional about worshiping and loving God with our habits. We can't just sit back and keep doing what we're doing, waiting for, for God to do something, because what we keep doing is changing us, just in a different way. Yes, becoming like Jesus is impossible without the power of the Holy Spirit, but it's also impossible without our active participation in the transformation process. And let's be clear, that doesn't mean we're earning our salvation. That just means that change is a cooperative effort, and it requires us to develop habits that help us join what the Spirit is doing and deepen our connection to the living God. To use the, the words of, of, of Professor Smith, to, they're activities that put us in the gymnasium so that God can retrain us. So over the past few months, uh, as, as one does when one is, is quarantined, I've been trying to get better at one of my favorite sports, uh, which is disc golf. I love disc golf. It's super fun. Uh, so in trying to get better, I've been, yeah, that's, that's not me. Uh, that's another guy. But uh, I, I wish it was me. Uh, but over, so I've been listening to, to uh, tips and podcasts and watching videos and, 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 and tips from top professionals. And I've been going out and throwing more and practicing putts. Uh, but what I quickly learned is that it's not enough to just know how to throw a disc correctly. And I found this out the hard way. Uh, one day I had just watched a 20-minute video uh, on form and technique. And I felt like I knew exactly what I was supposed to do. And I went out, not kidding, first hole through it, it went sideways across the course and into the pool of the YMCA next door. <laughs> See, professionals don't get good at disc golf or ball golf uh, or tennis or music or anything else by gaining more information alone. They grow by practicing until the right form and technique are second nature. And friends, that's the goal of the Christian life. To become the kind of people who naturally respond like Jesus without even thinking about it. And to become those kind of people, just like athletes and musicians, we need training and practice off the spot. And that's what habits and or spiritual disciplines or exercises, practices, whatever you want to call them, that's what they do. So I want to suggest one habit 
uh, one that engages the whole body and the whole brain that can help us embody the love of God. I want to encourage us to, to do that week and over the course of this next month. And here's what you do. Uh, get in a quiet place. Try to remove any distractions that could vie for your attention. Uh, and think of a memory in your life for which you are grateful. Think of a memory for which you're grateful. It can be something big, uh, like a wedding or a graduation, or it could be something small, like sipping coffee on the porch. But think of a memory for which you are grateful. And when you have the memory, uh, do these three things. First, name it. Name the memory. Give it a two- or three-word title. So, uh, marrying Susan, or vanilla latte, or beanbag chair. I don't know what your memory is, but whatever it is, give it a name. And then second, relive it. Feel in your body. Go back to the memory, and as if you were back in it, what did you feel? Did you feel peace? Did you feel lightness, hope, joy, excitement? And the goal here is try to feel that again in your body. And then ask, what might God be communicating to you through this memory and through what you feel? Take some time here to remember that, that God is with you and that he loves to share his beauty with you. So take some time to relive the memory. And then, and this is really, really important for habits to form us, is repeat it. Do it again the next day. Find a different memory or, or go back to the same memory. And, and over time, Compile a list of these memories that you can enter and relive to appreciate and enjoy the gratitude for what God has done for you. Just spend five minutes a day for the next 30 days. Make that commitment to re-entering memories of joy and sitting in gratitude with God. They could be 20 years ago. They could be yesterday. But for every memory, the important thing is that we feel gratitude in our body and that we sense a connection with God relationally. And then if you're bold, you could add a fourth thing here to share it uh, because joy is shared. So maybe you tell your spouse or your kids or your friends or someone from church or in your community group about that joy and gratitude memory. Now listen, this isn't going to change you in one day uh, or even one month or year. That's not how habits work. Remember, it's not about trying harder or thinking harder. It's all about consistently presenting your entire body and mind before God regularly putting yourself in the way of God's love so that the Spirit can transform you. And this is just one way we can do it. There are loads of other practices and disciplines that Christians have used throughout the years. But when I take a look back at my faith journey that I shared a little bit of earlier, what we've just explored helps me make sense of my initial spike in transformation and my slow drift into stagnation. Because when I look back, when I was changing rapidly, my whole body and whole brain were heavily involved in how I practiced faith with others. But when I was growing spiritually stagnant, I let loose with my body. I started not really caring what I did. I started isolating the way I expressed and experienced faith only to the very important but not enough left side of my brain. And friends, as I continue to reflect on my faith journey, I don't want another seven years of dormant and declining faith. I don't want another seven years of little noticeable fruit. I don't want another seven years of, of keeping Jesus at a distance and, and relegating my relational God to, to only my logical thought. No, I want to know him and be known by him. I want to see lasting transformation as a result of his spirit. I want to taste, I want to touch, I want to experience and smell his life-changing love. Encouraged. And I hope that you are encouraged by the reality that when we engage every part of us with God in worship with others, we can change. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for that truth. 
I thank you for the truth that it doesn't rest on me because I would be a wreck if your spirit was not in my life. I thank you that you are already loving me and loving us by changing us. And God, I pray that you would help us to see how we can present our entire bodies and minds before you in worship. Our thoughts, what we do with them, what we think, what we feel, our relationships, all of it. God, help us to worship you the way that you have designed us to worship. And when we do that, would you change us? And God, prepare us for these next three weeks as we look at at how you use those around us to facilitate that change process. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus, by the power of his spirit who works in us, the same power that raised Christ from the dead. Amen.